Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, my co-host, Marcus, and our special guest for today, Sergio Fernandez Romera. Hello. How are you, everybody? Nice. It's nice to be here, finally. I'm really glad to be here, and I hope you enjoy. The Spanish accent, unparalleled. Way better than anything Marcus could possibly bring to the table where he is currently residing in Europe. Oh, good Lord, I wouldn't even bother trying. Sergio's the most Spanish-looking dude. Spanish-looking, like, naming guy, and, like, you know you know what Sergio is? You know what he is? Like, if you're an American girl and you, like, go abroad, like, study abroad, you're going to have a boyfriend named Sergio, and he's going to be that guy. Like, that's him. Sergio is 100% a menace to every female that goes abroad in Spain. <laughs> yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I'm you dead. know Lizzie, Lizzie McGuire, but in Madrid, Spain, Sergio is the guy. 100%. That's him. Yep. We love it, though, and we brought Sergio on because we want to do, and we have been thinking about doing an episode about Spanish tennis, because clearly Spain has taken over every other country as being sort of the powerhouse of the tennis world. Undoubtedly, first it was, you know, I would go to like a Carlos Moya was really like the start of the generation that has taken over. Then obviously there's Rafael Nadal, Juan Carlos Ferrero. And then that guy, Juan Carlos Ferrero, ended up training uh, some kid named Carlos Alcaraz, who is now going to be the subsequent number one player in the world, probably uh, within the next few years. And it's not only the top of the Spanish game that's so impressive, it's that they have like 10 players in the top 100, like all the time. Um, guys like uh, Pablo Carino Busta, Roberto Batista Gut. Uh, David Ferrer was a constant top five, top eight player for I don't even know how many years. Uh, Spanish tennis just seems to have a way to produce players that are not only dominating on the clay court scene, which is probably what we think of them most as, but guys like PCB have gotten to the semifinals of the U.S. Open, been super successful on hard courts, and have like they're more than just clay court players. I think that's a stereotype that's just so wildly incorrect nowadays. Um, so we wanted to have Sergio on to sort of give us a little bit of his background of what it was like playing in Spain. And he'll get into like all of the stuff that he's doing now that um, is bringing that model to, I think, different parts of the world and, and especially in the United States. So uh, Sergio, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, you know, growing up in Spain, you know, how you got here, you know, a little bit of the full story. So, yeah, I started playing tennis when I was uh, around eight years old because I was uh, looking my father playing this sport uh, called paddle. And then I saw these two guys playing tennis and I didn't know what was that. But I, I, I thought it was more interesting than watching my father playing paddle. So I started at them and then I decided to start playing tennis. And basically, I think uh, all this story of the Spanish tennis is because when, when you are practicing in Spain, there are so many clay courts. And uh, I think, you know, when, when you think about a Spanish guy, you think about clay because our coaches basically um, teach us how to last in the point 30, 40 shots until you can't with, uh, with your life anymore, basically. 
So uh, I remember my coach told me that the match, you are going to win the match if you get one more ball than your opponent. That's basically what uh, the Spanish tennis is about, in my opinion. And now with this guy Alcaraz, which destroys the hell out of the ball every time, is kind of different, but Ferrer, Juan Carlos Ferrero, Moya. Also, it comes a little bit more uh, with Sergi Bruguera, Manolo Santana. These, these guys brought the tennis in Spain. And then Rafa Nadal appeared. But I think the history comes from, from this, these guys. Yeah, that's that's definitely the generation that kind of brought that original grinding style, especially to the French Open, Sergio. That's a really good point. But it's kind of been kind of nice to see the development of how Spanish tennis has turned into more of a multi-surface um, playing country, kind of where you you even guys got like uh, you know Feliciano Lopez who like are tremendous on grass, right? He's not even really clay quarter at all. Talk to us a little bit about how. Spain has kind of gone from a clay court dominant, um, you know, tennis nation with Carlos Moya. Even Nadal at the beginning of his career was more clay dominant. How have they transitioned to being also, you know, multi court, you know, multi court players? So basically, I think uh, besides, of course, uh, practicing in clay court, we had this this also uh, hard court uh, practices, and in my opinion, uh, some difference that I've seen for uh, some academies is that uh, we practice a lot of live ball. It's uh, basically all the practices are about live ball, getting the rallies uh, going. So uh, difference between, you know, America is so many baskets in my opinion. So I think it's uh, the live ball, the rallies with some uh, difference. And also you get to to play with so many people in Spain, there are not much uh, private lessons. There are, but but little. You you get to play with everybody. Doesn't matter if uh, you are better than this person or or worse. You get to play with everybody. Yeah, that I think is is what I that what what Sergio just mentioned right there. I think is the biggest difference. Like obviously the live ball stuff, I think is very true too. But what what he just mentioned about the culture of tennis in Spain is what I would note as an outsider is the biggest thing that separates it from everybody else. I've said on this podcast multiple times, and I'd love to hear your opinion and perspective on it, like being somebody who's from there. From what I've gathered, tennis is firmly like the second most popular sport in Spain, um, whereas in the United States, like that is not the case. And even in other European countries like with uh, like Italy, I think it's starting to border on that now because of the rise of like a Berrettini sin or whatever. So like that may happen. But like in Germany, I wouldn't view it as the second most popular sport in England and, you know, all of Great Britain. I wouldn't view it as the second most popular sport. What has been your experience with like, you know, the popularity of tennis there? Like when you were growing up, like, was it did you have a lot of friends that played? Like, was it very common to play? Like, obviously, football, soccer, that's number one in, in every country outside of the United States. But um, how does tennis stack up compared to, like, a basketball, other sports that Spain is pretty good at? So, basically, when, when I was a kid, uh, you you get to, to start knowing some some people that 
love the same thing that you love and you make you make friends and there are so many chords uh, in Spain that you can play and you just started playing with your friends you you hang out also with them and you you start building up like a huge network with with your friends and uh, I remember uh, I started playing just like almost every day besides practices but also you start uh, like schedule some matches with your friends and i think in my opinion this um, this thing in america doesn't really exist is all about uh, getting private uh, with your coach instead of actually playing some matches with with other people and uh, i think that's like a really big difference in my opinion yeah that's very similar to what our what a previous guest Jan has said about kind of like the way that German tennis works and that in general in Europe tennis is viewed as not so much like a like a business it's more viewed of as a social event uh, a way to stay healthy um, and that really has a large influence on what you know people go out there and do it for there's a lot more passion involved right you know here it's a lot in, in the united states it's a little bit yeah you got some passion in it but a lot of times people are really trying to make money which sergio has seen firsthand because i'm you know he, he works in uh some parts here of long island where you know he probably makes some good coin um but on the other on the other hand Sergio, I, I remember all these conversations that we have where you're telling me men i can't take it to coaching these kids they just, you know, don't want to play or they don't want to listen or this and that. Talk to us a little about the mentality in terms of training um, and, and more specifically, I guess, kind of, just, yeah, just like more like training and high performance training between Spain and the United States and what you've seen. So, yeah, I've been coaching in both places. I started coaching when I was 17 in, in Spain, in a summer camp. And of course, you know, like you see uh, some kids that they don't, want to play tennis, but also you see some that they really have passion. And there is something, uh, uh, a big difference between America also and Spain. It's uh, the parents. The parents in America have basically all the power uh, into you and into their kids. Uh, they do whatever they want. Some of the parents, of course, not, not all of them. But in Spain, for example, uh, a parent can do anything. Like uh, the tennis coach is the tennis coach, and uh, the father is the father, or the mother is the mother. They they don't interrupt you with with anything because they know uh, the tennis coach has the lead there. And also, some big difference is uh, what I said before: is in America, uh, I see all these coaches just feeding baskets and baskets with sometimes no sense. Um, some difference between the American tennis and the Spanish is the, the backup. In Spain, we, we do the transition forward, but also we do the transition backwards, which is something that in America I barely see. It's everything going forward and attacking the ball and getting into the net. But also, like, we have this part between you know, the end of the court and the baseline, which we have to use sometimes. So that's uh, a big difference, I see. So, Sergio, are you telling me that 
it was a it was a bit of a problem when I was when I was always telling you to step in and move in. Is that, is that the excuse? I mean, yeah, the, one of my biggest problems in my tennis is the going forward. Maybe I learned the going backwards, but not the the going forward and finishing at the net. Yeah. God, it's mainly on the forehand. The backhand, you do it really well, but on the forehand, man, Frank, I would tell him every single. Yeah, I, I missed that part of the of the lesson. Here's oh the thing. Here's the thing. Marcus is merely a small-minded American coach who has no concept of rally balls and intricate, intricate like point construction that Sergio's bringing to the table. Like Marcus is just useless don't even listen to him Serge. you got well, it you got it. i would now i for most of that i do agree um but i would i would like to point out however that i didn't need to bring the spanish boy on how to rally i needed to teach him how to go hit winners which is exactly what i was there for because that's literally all i think about doing all day long i could care less about rallies uh exactly i mean uh i i learned how to defend but uh now uh Marcus is trying to teach me how to attack the ball like a good American German boy. <laughs> Here's what you need to do, Sergio. Step one, big serve. Step two, hit forehand, and it's a winner. Step three, if not a winner, panic, lose the point really quickly to move on. Just give up. <laughs> oh Yeah, I, I definitely need to learn those three steps, definitely. Yeah, no, and also just lose the backhand. Useless stroke, don't need it. Don't even bother. Yeah, just uh, throw that right out the window. <laughs> and that's why Frank's not a tennis coach. Wow, that's tough. Hate to see it. But it's true, though. Um, okay, so the next part I think we wanted to address is the mental side of tennis, particularly with Spanish tennis players. And this is something that I think you've touched upon a little bit in terms of like the coaching aspect uh, with like players really respecting their coaches a lot more, or, like the coaches being in charge and you know that that part of it versus like in america and elsewhere the parents definitely have a bigger role um and are very sort of on the court and then stuff like that when it comes to spanish tennis players we've noticed that they have an unbelievable amount of fight in them they seem to always have like that mental toughness that is just the crowd loves we love to watch as as uh as fans is that something that is ingrained in you guys growing up is that like a specific coaching thing that coaches are, are telling you and, and working on like the mental side of it or is it also just a cultural thing like in Spanish culture like you you always fight and you never give up so I said before that uh, for example when I was a kid my coach always told me you are not gonna win a match if you hit harder than the other you're gonna win a match if you put one more ball than your opponent and I think, I mean, basically that's that's true. We see how Rafa Nadal wins all this uh, Roland Garros. Of course, it's not just because he doesn't hit the ball, but you, you understand me. And something that uh, I think uh, in Spain, we have these conditions, which is like, uh, it's really hot uh, in, in the summer. And that's when tennis players play the most uh, tennis. And in this areas uh, of uh, where uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero, Ferrer, uh, Nadal, where they are from, it's really, really tough to win just a point. And, and 
we had to stay in a match for maybe like two hours and a half, three under this crazy heat. And the next day you're going to have to do the same thing. And I think that's, that's starting to build in your, in your mind, this, uh, this like crazy fight, uh, fight spirit. And something that in Spain, we don't really have a lot is this perfect conditions, uh, like these indoor clubs, which we, we have some indoor, uh, courts, but basically we, we played the whole year under the wind, under the heat, if it's cold, it's cold too. So I think that that builds the, the fight spirit inside of you. Yeah, that's something that you see relatively often here, Sergio and, and Frank. I'm sure you know this as well. Um, when you get used to playing in nice conditions all the time, and New York has got some pretty nice indoor facilities, but as soon as you go outside, you know, in the spring or something, um, and it's just a little bit windy, you already see people just going haywire, like, whoa, whoa, man, it's windy, what, I'm, you know, I'm blaming this today, and I think for people from Spain, they all, they have a lot of this, you know, I don't give a shit attitude, where they're just like, all right, whatever's being thrown at me today is today, right, like, I don't care what surface I'm playing on, I don't care what the temperature is, I don't care what the wind is, like, I've got one goal, and I'm going to go after it. And you see this, especially when you're at the U.S. Open. Frank knows this from the times that we used to ball boy there together. Spanish players just have this like unrelentless, attacking, aggressive attitude. And not in terms of not even just playing aggressive tennis, but aggressive in terms of how they want to play and how they want to dictate play. And dictate really just the momentum and the mentality of the match. Like You can feel that pressure when you're on the other side of the court. And I think that... That's something that's just so unique to the Spanish tennis culture. Um, and, and it's really just, it's so much fun and it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, I also think beyond that, I think that Spanish tennis players use the crowd better than any other nationality of players in the world. Like they are, and and that comes from like the emotions that they're exerting. And like, again, this would be a question for Sergio, but like, it seems to me like all of these Spanish tennis players like do let out emotion. They're not like, you know, like a lot of like Northern European players where like nothing comes out like Bjorn Borg ice cold, like they're letting emotions out. But the only emotions they're letting out are like fist pumping, like getting gassed up, like trying to get the crowd into it, like all of this stuff. And I think that that causes the crowd to always sort of sway with them uh versus like somebody like Yannick Sinner I think like he actually could show a lot more emotion because he's a little stoic sometimes but um I think that that is like another very big thing that Spanish players especially on like bigger stages are really successful with um I think the last sort of thing that we wanted to hear from you about hear from you about Sergio is um Tell us a little bit about like what you're doing, um, what you're doing now. So right now I'm uh, coaching in the Rafa Nadal Academy, uh, not in Mallorca though, but uh, in United States. Uh, basically, yeah, Rafa Nadal wants to to take uh, his academy everywhere. He has some place in in Dubai, of course, in in the one in Mallorca, uh, also Mexico, and he wants to 
to go all over the world, basically. So I'm, I'm coaching here uh, uh, in some summer camps. Uh, it's really interesting. I, I really enjoy coaching in, in his academy. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to, to be here now. How does the training like work? Would you say that it's very much kept that like Spanish model that you've grown up with, or are they trying to more adapt it to an American sort of audience? So uh, no, definitely it's 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 different than the um, any other style that I've been coached. Uh, basically, we try the players, even though they are uh, starting to play tennis. Or they are advanced. We use the players to play against each other. It doesn't matter if they make uh, one ball, two balls, 15, 20, and they try to keep the, the rally going, as I said before. And also we use ourselves, the coaches, to play against them while uh, they are running in and out the whole time. We are in the volley and we play against them. We move them around. We work a lot on the on the footwork overall. Not much on the technique. We uh, we don't really look uh, forward the technique a lot. Of course, if we see something like really really like a big problem, we correct it. But basically, we we work on on footwork and consistency, and of course the the values of Nadal, which is respect, uh, mental toughness, and and yeah. Sergio, besides the um, besides the clubs that you've taught at kind of on Long Island and, and stuff, you have, have you ever actually ever been to like a traditional American tennis academy, like a Boloteri or a Rick Macy or something like that? Like like a sport time tour or? Uh, kind of, yeah, but something where more like down in Florida where they've got like big tennis academy and people go there and like do school there and play tennis all day, like that type of thing. I've been in the um, what is uh, we were also in in Orlando the the oh, train US, the USTA national campus yeah yes I've been there with uh, one player uh, he's really good he's, he's a he's a kid and they invited him uh, to to do like like a, like a really small camp of three days and I've seen how coaches work there and I really really like them. But of course, that's like really high performance uh, coach. But what I saw there uh, was impressive for me. I, I really uh, like the way the coaches uh, talk to the players. They, they taught them a few things really interesting. They also got to know uh, some players that uh, practice there and now they are ATP players like Tiafo, Fritz, uh, Pelka. Those guys were practicing there, and uh, I mean, it's interesting how they develop the players there. Yeah, and that was kind of one of our other questions in terms of if if you had been to one of the academies and how you would compare, like the Nadal Academy from you know your your days of teaching because you have taught at the Mallorca Academy, and I'm curious because you don't really hear as much about what the structure is there, and it's always curious because what happens is. A lot of the time, Sergio, if you get a big name on a, an academy like a Nick Bolateri here, Nick Bolateri doesn't even really have that much to do with it. He's just kind of living off his name, and he doesn't really have much involvement, and it's kind of almost like BS. But 
I have the feeling, the gut feeling that it's a little bit different at the Nadal Academy and that him and Uncle Tony are a lot more involved. Is that true? Yeah, so um, Tony Nadal goes a lot uh, to the to the Nadal Academy in, in Mallorca and he, he gets uh, involved uh, a lot. He tries to, to, to be that obviously the best academy, but the best high performance and for people that started to play tennis. It's, uh, also Nadal, whenever he's, he's there and he's not playing any tournaments, uh, is he practiced there, you know, every, every time he can. And I think they, they both get uh, really involved and besides a lot more people behind them, but them, which are the, the principal uh, people, they, they really get involved on this. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, that checks out to everything that we've come to expect from, uh, from Nadal and, and Uncle Tony too. It seems like I saw some interviews with Nadal sort of talking about his academy, um, you know, on like 60 minutes, whatever, like after he won Roland Garros and he like says like, this is going to be his big passion project whenever he retires or steps down like he really wants to focus on this and he specifically spoke about like tennis in central and south america and that's where he views his academy having the potential to reach a lot of kids and a lot of people that otherwise would not have really had the facilities or opportunities to um to play at like that high of a performance level which i think is really really great that rafa has taken that challenge on um I guess my last, and I think you've answered this in like different ways, but like with tennis academies, it seemed like they were the thing in the nineties, right? Like Pete Sampras went to one Agassi, Sharapova, like we go down the list, all of them went, went to one at some point. Then all of a sudden they like disappeared for like a span of like 10 to 15 years with like Federer didn't go to one. Nadal didn't go to one. Like Djokovic didn't really go to one. Like all those guys nothing to really do with tennis academies not really like a product of them and then now all of a sudden right like we're getting rafa nadal academy moratoglu is like super big it seems like the academy's model has just shifted to europe and now the europeans have taken their own approach to the american academy model that was like pioneered in the 80s and 90s by like Boletari and macy whatever um you know my question to you is do you think that that model is going to continue to grow and expand all over? Or is this just like a sort of like a fire in the, you know, just, just like a, a fire, like a, a fire in the bottle? Mm, in my opinion, yeah, I, I remember, I mean, I, I'm not that old. I mean, you guys are not that old also, but I remember the first uh, academy that I saw that I thought it was really interesting. It was uh, Janko Tipsarevic. I remember he started like doing uh, his own academy and he was like, he was not one of the best ones. I mean, number seven, six is pretty, pretty good, uh, but not, not number one. And uh, I think, yeah, after, after that, uh, maybe like Djokovic saw that uh, it was working. Uh, then I don't know who was the first one uh, of these top three, uh, Djokovic, Fer or Nadal on building... Uh, an academy. I think Ferrer or Ferrero also uh, made an academy. And I think these guys, uh, the top three, maybe they thought, 
wow, we could use uh, also our name to build an academy because it's gonna be huge. But also they had to they they had to want to to make this work and make it uh, like special for everybody. And in my opinion, Nadal is making a really good uh, academy and really good effort with it. And I think it's gonna it's gonna get uh, big and big. In the future, I'm not really sure what uh, this new generation will do. I mean, I don't really see right now Alcaraz having an academy, but basically because he's uh, 19 years old. So hopefully in the in the future, yeah, I will definitely go uh, to his academy if, if uh, he builds one. But I don't really know. I, I don't think so because nowadays how things are, but uh, who knows? Maybe we will see Sissipas Academy, uh, Sberf Academy, uh, Alcaraz Academy. Who knows? Oh, my God. If you go to a Sverev Academy, you will never learn how to hit a second serve. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> no, I think the one, the one of the players mentioned um, that would build an academy would be Stefano Tsitsipas. He's, like, openly said that he wants to because Greece doesn't really have, like, the premier academy despite having a very like great climate for playing tennis in year round so i think he would be the only one that would really do it but i mean any of these spanish players it seems like all of them have now opened up an academy or done something cool with it novak has basically just tied himself to tipsarovich academy and that's where he trains and like helps his boy out um federer surprisingly really has done nothing but that's because he's kind of a business mogul so he's got other things that are concerning him but i have seen him show up to nadal academy a few times and like he promotes it because you know nadal is his like obviously his good friend and buddy whereas djokovic is his you know doesn't even acknowledge djokovic's existence so yeah federer i feel like is much more interested in his businesses and also his foundation in south africa i saw a great um, documentary on the airplane about that where Nadal joined him for that match in Africa. Highly recommend checking that out. It's a really cool documentary and the insights into kind of how Federer um, you know, kind of thinks about his his future after tennis, which is unfortunately coming up very soon, it seems like. So um, Stop. Yeah. Don't. don't. We got we to gotta call stop. it like it is. Stop. But just Guys, just stop. thank you very much for joining us today on the Breakpoint Podcast. Sergio, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've been wanting to get you on for a long time. We know you've been a big fan of the pod, so we, uh, we appreciate you taking on the time. You can follow us on Breakpoint Podcast 7 on Instagram. You can email us. I know you won't. Breakpoint Podcast 7 at Gmail. If you want to be on the pod like Sergio today, hit us up, uh, DM us, comment, like, however you want to contact us. Um, we, we would love to have you on. And uh, yeah, we've got some good content coming up soon. We've got Wimbledon coming up soon, too. So uh, we're looking forward to uh getting some more content out for you guys yeah um make sure that you follow sergio on instagram too got a great feed kid looks like a model half the time it's really incredible i believe that's i believe that's because he is a model is that oh kind of kind of there we go we knew it was gonna happen ladies (laughs) at at, what's his his Instagram? sergio underscore nv8 if you're looking for some thirst content there it is baby there he is (laughs) (laughs) on life all right i have one final question before we sign off unrelated to tennis of course sergio 
Okay. What is your favorite tapas dish? Definitely croquetas. Oh, definitely. Good pick. Okay, I like it. Croquetas of cocido. There it is. For our listeners, yeah. go get that at your local tapas establishment. And uh, if you don't, then it's not authentic. 100%. Yep. There it yeah, is. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll be sure to catch you next time. See ya. All right. Thank you, guys.